0: It will become and continue to become a game changer for us as it evolves. And, you know, we see it as definitely a strategic and a competitive advantage.
1: This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents.
2: Those data games are so challenging as a marketer. I understand that and I respect that because you look for that personalization every single time. Because if you know, let's say for example, Drew likes high-end premium flour, but Kellen likes low-end flour. If a partner wants to come in and do a limited drop, you can test it out with the demographic. You know exactly works well, which makes you key in certain areas if you want to kind of go in there, understanding the demographics, but as well as kind of partnering the other side where someone wants to utilize truly as a channel. You know exactly where you can. Hit. Do you think that's an underappreciated aspect of what you've built so far, at a scale standpoint?
0: I do. I, I don't think that a lot of folks out there really understand. You know, ne- which we don't need to, right? We understand as consumers how it works, right? But we don't necessarily understand how it's how it's built and the you know requirements to sort of go into to making it um, making it feel seamless or making it making it effective. And so, um, you know, yeah, I I, I do, but I think that it will become and continue to become a game changer for us as it evolves. And, you know, we see it as definitely a strategic and a competitive advantage in just a real world example. And this is just an easy one. And I've got a lot that are product oriented, but another that isn't product oriented, that's geographic oriented is when the hurricane hit in Florida, you know, our competitors had to close basically all the stores in a particular area at one time and then open them all back up at one time. Um, because they didn't have the ability to necessarily target or let folks know on an individual store-by-store basis what you know that particular store, what the condition of that particular store was. For us, we actually were able to take it very specifically. I was able to tell you, so maybe your store was still closed, but maybe this store over here... Right, twenty miles away was open and didn't have any damage, so I was actually able to let you know that your this store was open. You could get your medicine here, and then let you know again, right, when your store was coming back. If there were curfews that were in place, if we had to put in limited hours, right, we were able to we were able to communicate um, real time to folks that were in those affected areas. And I mean, I, I know that it certainly made a difference from a from a business perspective, but it also made a difference for folks who needed medicine right i mean they needed to get product and so i mean in, in many of our markets right and folks have folks have foregone prescriptions right we, we are absolutely our products are relied on right for for very and um, you know sometimes critical um, medical issues and so we we never kind of lose sight of that right that we have a responsibility to, um, to, to make sure that folks have, have access to, uh, to products. And, um, that was on full display for sure. And our team did an amazing job, of course. I mean, I joked with our team here at headquarters that they could open a weather channel. I mean, they had like, you know, 20 screens up and I was like, are y'all like, storm-try? did we, did we, did we rent a weather plane to like fly into the, you know, eye of the hurricane, you know, I mean, it just was, it was, <laughs> incredible. It was incredible. I mean, they were 7 a.m. updates, you know, 8 a.m. I mean, it just was all through the night. I mean, it just was really the team really did an an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal job. I mean, we, I think, had like 60 stores that were down and then were able to get reopened on a rolling basis within three days.
2: So slightly switching gears, Pepsi and Coke have competing Products in similar categories. Obviously the trekkers and the dog walkers have similarities. Love to get your idea behind that. I think it's a brilliant strategy, understanding it fits exactly the demographic, you know exactly who that works. And marketing wise is exactly what that is. You want to connect with the consumer and they do a good job. Both those products connect exactly with that. So you can give some insight behind that strategy.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know and um and it, like Ben and I talked about I'm like it's it's a mini pre roll like there's no one that has a corner on the market <laughs> of a mini pre roll I'm sorry um you know and expect that in our lots of our products have been um have been replicated um certainly across across the markets that we that we operate in and so um you know I think that for us again it's looking at our portfolio of products Always, we're constantly innovating. Um, we have a, a pretty robust R and D team with dedicated, um, you know, scientists and, and researchers, as well as you know, folks that are just innovators in the in the space who are um, always looking at you know new formulations, new delivery devices, new ways to bring product to market. And um, because this market is. This industry is filled with innovation, and if you're not innovating, um, you're you're dying, right? Is what we say. Um, so it's important to continue to move forward. Um, and you know, I think to your point, particularly in core markets, we need to make sure that our shelves are diverse and that we are meeting again meeting that customer where they're at. Where we talk a lot about okay, what does the shelf look like? Right? How are we segmenting? What is this? Who is this product talking to? What is the persona of the person that's going to buy? This product, right? Do we need it? Do we not need it? Does it make sense? Does it not make sense? Um, and at what price point? At what? What's the value proposition? So yeah, it's a it's a constant a constant um, you know evolution, and that's not only with our products, but also with brand partner products as well um, that you know that are that are coming into market or that we've chosen to to bring into market.
1: When you guys are launching these new products in these various regions, do you launch them simultaneously in all region, and knowing that like regions are going to have different tastes, or do you try to customize it? Per region,
0: yeah, it depends. So, um, you know, for example, we are doing a large relaunch and have been doing a large relaunch of um, Roll One and the Roll One brand, which is a value brand across different subcategories, and um, that's obviously critical. Again, giving macro our mindset, meet customers where they're at, right? So, Roll One is all about solid value, um, you know approachable price point with solid quality. It's communicated very straightforward. It's available at X price. You know, it's a everyday kind of low price. We don't discount it but you know that it's always available so you can rely on it it's one of those kind of trust and dependability brands that if you're on a budget and you don't have the time or the space to you know deal hunt you know among 20 different dispensers and you want to have a home dispensary you like that feeling of coming in and people knowing who you are and really having that relationship our roll one line is perfect for you um because you know it's all it's just it's always going to be available it is what it is it's great product at, again a very approachable price point so That line has definitely been launched um, nationally, you know, and and the rollout has been very well received. Um, And, you know, I always remind folks that, you know, value products doesn't necessarily mean value margin, right? Um, So, um, you know, we're really happy and excited to see, um, to see that line doing as well as it has been doing.
2: The internet has a working theory that operating in limited license states isn't a USP, and that once MSOs don't operate in these market conditions, I guess federal legalization, the business model will be obsolete. What do you say to that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that part of the business model, maybe, right? Um, Depending. And I think that... And I'm going to give you a very like... And this is where the lawyer brain comes in. Um, (laughs) I think that it depends, right? And what I mean by that is it depends. I don't know that I see a scenario on the federal level where point of sale is completely... Left wide open. I think that when we sort of and study right and um, the rollback of prohibition from an alcohol perspective, there was definitely a very patterned distribution network across the U.S. With some states owning it through their governments, actually, right. And when you have the in certain states, right, their state issued. Kind of like Canada does, right? With their state issued, um, you know, alcohol distributors. Um, other states that had very, you know, tight controls on how stores and where stores. And I mean, even in certain states, um, even today, right, where liquor can be sold versus, um, you know, beer and wine. How it can be delivered to your home, you know, whether it can be delivered to your home. Some of that actually still is held over today, which is crazy. Um, thinking about how long ago that was. So, I don't know that it's going to be a Hey, um, you know, it's, um, it's available anywhere and everywhere. Um, you know, but I think that it's my job as CEO and our job as, a, as an organization to be prepared for lots of different scenarios. And so when you hear me talking about Cannabis 2.0, when you hear me talking about unified commerce, which is really omni-channel with some other layers, right? When you hear us talking about how would we think about direct-to-consumer, how would we think about distribution? How would we think about, um, you know, where we would want to be positioned and how we can lean into our expertise, which I think that for us, what's fairly unique is it, we can lean either way or both, right? Largest retail platform can lean there, right? Largest supply chain distribution network, really deep in the markets that we're in, we can lean there, right? And it would just expand our um, expand our um, distribution area, right, if you will, across that region, and so. Um, that's how we're thinking about it is, um, you know, on day one, I'm pretty sure we're still the only organization that has the scale that we have in the cannabis space. So regardless of if anybody else is able to come in and compete or not, we're still sitting there in a, in a pretty enviable position um, off the block, which, um, listen, I love to be first mover. So <laughs> it's just first mover all over again, um, as far as as far as I'm concerned. So we, we like the setup kind of regardless.
2: Yeah, I, I think you're definitely positioned your team for the upcoming changes, and whenever that happens, it's 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 remained to be seen. So let's talk about one of the areas that you're really pushing the most, and that's Florida adult use. Can you kind of give the the current status of where it is today? Sure.
0: So Florida adult use, we um, are supporters, of course, of the ballot initiative that's been filed. Um, Every state is different in terms of their ballot requirements. Um, Florida is is one of those states where you have to have a certain number of signatures to receive Supreme Court review. Supreme Court reviews the language for single subject and um, lack of ambiguity. Um, And then assuming you get the total number of signatures, um, then you're on the ballot. And so there are, I believe we reported... I want to say it's like close to 500,000 signatures not, that are not validated that have been received. We estimate about 65% of those or so will be validated um, with a fallout rate. And so we should be pretty close to Supreme Court review thresholds at this point, And it's moving right along. Um, you know, I would not anticipate the signatures... Is, is necessarily, a, from what I've seen anyway, um, in terms of the response. So I feel pretty good about where it sits and, you know, looking forward to, to moving it forward. And um, I would say that probably one kind of... I've heard a lot of, obviously, conversation. Well, why is it structured this way? And, you know, why doesn't it have A, B, and C in it? Um, and I will, I will tell you this. I would love nothing more than to be able to say and tell you know, the, the legislature, this is exactly how it needs to go. And, um, you know, you need to issue X number of licenses and at least, you know, 50% need to have, you know, social equity component. And, you know, we want to include home grow, and, you know, we want to, all of the things, right? I would love to do that. In Florida, that would absolutely fail Supreme Court review. The court, and particularly this court, which I think we all have learned a lesson that courts can be political um, in the last year. <laughs> um, Yeah, I mean, you know, our our court in Florida is very conservative and um, it has, you know, it's going to be strictly um, read for single subject. And, you know, the single subject that we are addressing is, you know, adult use cannabis um, in the state of Florida. Um, It defers all of those other decisions to the legislature, um, which the court um, you know, views as the policy making body for the state. Um, and so that's where those battles will be fought. They will be fought in the legislature, um, and I fully expect there will be robust conversation on all of those topics. Um, it does contemplate additional licenses. It does not require vertical, but it does grandfather in existing operators and our our existing um, our existing operations. And so that's you know when we tried to balance and also keep it very focused on um, on a single topic that's uh, and give the legislature some some opportunity to address the other issues. That's where it landed.
2: It's got to be an extremely challenging balance understanding of what is necessary in order to push it forward, but also internally knowing how important having social equity and home grow is for just the overall industry. So how do you balance that and, and can truly do additional things to support that going forward?
0: So two things. One, um, we've always been huge supporters of both home grow and social equity. Um, on the home grow side, we are and have actively um, contributed to initiatives that attempted to to put, you know, home grow on the ballot. It, although. Albeit in a broader construct that ultimately got shot down by the Supreme Court and because it was layered. We also, I mean, we sell clones in Massachusetts. We have I've outwardly said and will continue to say that I think home grow is basically almost a fundamental right. I think that there are folks who absolutely need to grow their own for a variety of reasons, whether it's they can only utilize a certain strain, whether or not they have a certain illness that makes, you know, the way that commercial cultivation works not work for them and their particular conditions whether it be a financial issue whatever um there are certain there are certain reasons why folks need to have the opportunity to grow their own um, for personal consumption. I, I'm a strong believer in that. I mean, and listen, our original roots as an as an organization are with folks that are in the nursery and farming industry. And so, you know, I remember so vividly one of our early board meetings before we were public and the conversation around home grow. and folks were a little like, oh, I don't know, you know, isn't this bad for for us? And I mean, it's the whole conversation around, I looked at one of them, it's the whole conversation around like, okay, folks can go and, I mean, I can grow tomatoes. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to the grocery store and buying tomatoes. I mean, I, I kill tomato. I can't, I can't, I mean, I'm not, I can't, I can't, grow, I can't <laughs> grow tomatoes, you know? And so, and I'm not gonna have, right? Most people aren't gonna have a garden filled with all of the variety and all the different form factors and extraction and, the, and that they can go to their store and, and get. So I just don't see it as, I actually see it as a market increaser as opposed to a market detractor from a business perspective. Because I think how awesome if you've got a neighbor who's growing their own, brings some over, shares their tomatoes or in Florida, their oranges with you. And then all of a sudden, you're like, Oh, this is awesome. But I'm not going to go next door and ask, you know, Bobby for some more oranges, you know, every every week when I want some, right? What happens? That person goes to the store. So it's just not... Like, it's gonna be okay. (laughs) Kind of like my message on HomeGrow. And again, I think that it's important for folks to have the ability to do that. Um, On um, social equity, clearly as the only female CEO in this industry, in the MSO kind of world, um, it is absolutely something that I'm incredibly passionate about and have been since we since we started and um, you know you can certainly talk to Ros mccarthy who's the the founder of um, minorities for medical marijuana she and i worked the halls of the florida um, florida legislature to get into statute the you know the provision that we could get in which had to do with the pigford um class license as well as funding for florida and and, um, university, um, as part of the licensing fees in the, in the, um, Florida program. And originally that hundred percent was going to the university of Florida and because they were an agricultural school, which I was like, hold on a minute, we've got two agricultural schools in, in the state. And one of them is right here in Tallahassee and is, um, an HB, HBCU. So I really, um, you know i would say walking the walk and not just talking the talk has always been something that's been very important to me and i think that it's really important for us to look first inward because i think that you know we can all do things externally and we do do things externally that are very important and meaningful but i think internally it's also again that walk the walk Um, and not just talk the talk is critical. And so, um, you know, investing in our our people, giving them space to bring their full selves to the workplace. And, you know, we have a variety of ERGs that are very active um, within our organization um, that we look to empower for them to tell us, you know, what are the things that, um, they want to see from us, right? What's important to those groups? Um, what should we be investing with? Who should we be partnering with? What um, What can we do to help elevate, um, you know, their trajectory within the organization? Um, we have over, you know, approximately, in, from a female perspective, obviously that's something very near and dear to my heart. Um, I've said and will continue to say one of my goals is to is to have truly be the place for women and um, who want to be leaders within this within this space and um, to, to come and um, to elevate. Um, over thirty five percent of our leadership team at TreeLeave are female. Fifty percent of our board is female, and approximately it's like forty eight percent of our entire um, workforce is female. And so. We are definitely, again, we like to, to measure. Um, we like to make sure that we're, um, we're on track and that we're, um, we're meeting our stated objectives in those areas. As it relates to externally, we do a ton. Um, we are very focused on um, our diversity supplier Initiative, and um, that's one area where we feel like we can make a big impact—not just from a direct cannabis, but also all of the ancillary businesses that feed into what propels our organization forward. And so, making sure that those relationships, again, we're, we're tracking, we're accountable, and we are purposely investing and, in, you know, giving opportunity for those business to partner with a large-scale organization in a meaningful way. Across you know lots and lots of markets, and um, that's one thing that I'm really, really proud of. We're members of tons of organizations, which um, you know we have, of course, our ESG report that I would point folks to if you're interested in knowing kind of again additional information about who we partner with and how we partner with them. Um, I think we're we're one of the only cannabis companies that have released an ESG report. Again, in this spirit of transparency and making sure that when we say something that we actually are held accountable to do what we what we said we were going to do.
2: One of the things that I'm really impressed about is the Disabled American Veterans Jobs Fair that opened mm-hmm. recently with the medical cannabis facility in Georgia. Congratulations about that one. Thank you. Can you share a little bit more about that initiative and why it's so important?
0: Um listen, working with veterans is again one of our key groups that has been important to us from when we, you know, from when we initially began, um, began true leave and making sure that we're not just again, you know, donating or celebrating on Veterans Day or, right, um, kind of giving a wink and a nod um, on Memorial Day or whatever, right? Like, um, I think that it's, for us, it's really purposefully investing in the people and giving them an opportunity to be a part of this incredible industry. And so, um, you know, that organization has been phenomenal to work with. And we're really excited about having um, the opportunity to employ more um, disabled veterans, um, again, in a meaningful way. That's, again, we're walking the walk as opposed to just talking the talk. And so I think for us, they go hand in hand. And, you know, it's, it's fantastic. And I think how we invest is also important, right? I mean, we set up shop, our first, you know, our our first grow operation is in Quincy, Florida, which is a majority minority community. Um, We're the number one employer in that state, in that, um, in that county now, Um, you know, Holyoke in Massachusetts, same thing, you know, in Georgia, we chose to to really to stand up our initial production uh, facilities in rural, you know, in a more rural community in Adel. Um, They're super happy to have us. We're super happy to be there. So, being thoughtful in terms of how we as an organization also can be a change agent um, within some of these communities. And um, again, there's, there's lots of ripple effects um, to what we do. And just being mindful and purposeful about those um, from the outset is, is, is key.
2: Let's do a quick rapid fire. Okay. Best guess, what year does adult use sales in Georgia start?
0: Adult use in Georgia? Oh, Lord. Y'all, give me a minute. Like, you were trying to launch medical. <laughs> Man, is it, is it internet I, don't I don't know. I don't mean, know. I don't know. Uh, okay, so we're, we're medical now. It's going to be 2023.
2: Uh, I'm
1: going to go 2027, 2020.
2: That's a good guess. <laughs> That's a good guess. Your go-to karaoke song. Ooh, Ice Ice Baby. Maryland, Pennsylvania, Georgia. How would you rank these markets twenty years from now?
0: Oh my God, um, it's all going to be one big market because we're going to be looking at um, at some some sort of federal legalization at that point.
2: Ah, uh, well played. Oh your most your your most consumed cannabis product?
0: Ooh, uh, flower, um, for sure. Um, I'm a indica leaning hybrid or an indica girl, so um, hmm. I've been really enjoying member Mary lately. All right.
2: In your yeah. opinion, which event is more disruptive to the cannabis industry? Interstate commerce or federal legalization?
0: They both happen at the same time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> which, which event is more beneficial to truly... So business I think
0: it's for? the same. I think it's the same. I think it's the same effect, unless we're saying that federal legalization somehow doesn't lead to interstate commerce. So I guess I'm confused. This is one, again lawyer brain. Lawyer brain, you got to help me. Like, one was does-
2: thinking interstate commerce could happen sooner given what's happening in New York and California. So I wasn't. Oh, sure. you mean
0: the lawsuit? The lawsuit situation? Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say I give that a long shot, um, and and I'm, hope- I'm
2: hopeful over here.
0: Okay, Um I'm not here to burst a bubble. On uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's already burst. <laughs> Tuesday. Um Mm. So, okay. So if we're thinking that interstate commerce can happen first. um, Yeah, I think, I think both are, I think both are amazing, right? I mean, I think that's, we've been, we've been preparing and I think we're, we're going to be as ready as anyone, if not more so. So, um, you know, I think that, Um, Certainly with federal legalization, what we would hope if federal, when federal legalization, this is, I'm going to say federal legalization because here's why. Federal legalization, um, you get also the benefit of there's going to be some change to the tax structure, right? So profitability is unlocked you're going to be able to uplift, we're going to be able to uplift, right? Which we're prepared to uplist immediately. And um, we're a form S3 filer. And this year's our socks year. We're going to be through all the hoops or whatever that we're going to have to jump through. And um, so we would be able to uplist. So I think our ability to access capital, which already is fairly high among our, our peer set, um, I think in increases dramatically. We have lots of optionality. I think investors, you know, um, come in, institutional investors. So I think it changes the landscape from an investment perspective. And, um, you know, I think then we're able to... You want to talk about being able... Or being in a position to scale. Um, I think it just... It puts... Us, I mean, if you take away two e in and of itself, that just changes um, the financial and the flexibility that we have um, from a decision-making and a choice of investment um, perspective exponentially.
1: it Most...
2: really hard for anyone to catch you, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Most bullish product category over the next 5 years?
0: Over the next 5 years... Five years. So when you say five years, I think that there's landscape changes from a national perspective. So flour is always going to be pretty important. I think for every cannabis company, it's your calling card from a quality perspective. And even if folks aren't flour consumers, they still want to know and feel confident that you're able to grow flour um, and and quality flour. So I I think... Flour will remain, and it's the most familiar product for folks that have ever experienced cannabis in the past. So it's going to be one, and this is going to be interesting, but I think you got flour, but I think you're going to see a big boom in edibles, particularly as you know, all of us have been experimenting, right? And we have a line of nanogels, fast acting. As soon as we can get, which we're really close, get that, um, the pacing, and, meaning the onset and the last, like the, really you want faster onset, shorter, in my opinion, shorter, impact time. So in other words, right, I think challenge with edibles is it's a slower onset and it lasts for a really long time for some people, right? Six to six, six hours. It depends on your metabolism, all that stuff. So I think that if you're able to pace it so it can be more of a social setting. So when you think about right, like okay, if we're drinking alcohol, it's you know, you're not gonna be it's you're up and then you're back. You know you're kind of here and here. So how can we how can we kind of match and mirror so that again in a social situation, it's it's folks understand where they're going to be. Um, I think it's a lot of uncertainty right now, and that sort of that same conversation that was had a number of years ago around like vape and dosing and like how that and titration, right? And really, you know, you saw the metered vape stuff coming out, and right, like really trying to control that. I think if we can get that. More dialed in on the edible side, it's really an exploding category for folks for a lot of reasons.
2: Favorite Blink One Eighty Two song?
0: Oh come on! <laughs> <laughs> so Brian Brian asked me in Vegas right about my about something that folks don't know about me, and it, I told him I'm going to see I'm going to go see Blink One Eighty Two next year. I have a lot of favorite Blink One Eighty Two songs, and I feel like if I give you.
2: Uh everyone has a favorite.
0: No. It's tough
2: though. What it, album?
0: It's it's hard. it's hard, right? And I was just listening to hold on, let me just see what comes up first on my phone. How about Spotify, that? Spotify because, will tell us? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because I literally was just like all in Blink 182 after we had that um after we had that uh that conversation and it was pretty funny. So hold on one second. <laughs> so it's a it's a toss up. All right. All the small things. And then, uh, what's my age again? I really like that one too. You can't go wrong with the classics. Yeah, it's Enema of the State. That's my, that album. I would play it on repeat with the discs on my hood of my, you know, little MX3 that I drove around like a (laughs) bat out of hell with my car phone like in the thing. Yeah, I was one of those kids.
2: That's awesome. Jack's speech. Totally. Totally. You can share Trekker with three people, dead or alive. Who are they?
0: Uh, RBG, for sure. For sure. Um, without a doubt. I've got her... I've got a painting of her in my office. I would say maybe Eliza Hamilton would be a good one for me. And Sarah Blakely, Sphinx founder.
2: All right. Yeah. That's, you might need <laughs> something longer than a Trekker, though. That's going to be... <laughs> going to be some stories in that one. <laughs> Under the radar state, you think... Investors are overlooking that you're most bullish on.
0: I feel like this is an end around of like, where are you looking to expand next into? But uh, that I can't <laughs> answer. But you're trying to put it in a way that I can answer it. <laughs> maybe, hmm, maybe, <laughs> maybe. I think Georgia is going to be great. I think Georgia is going to be great. I think folks are going to have to be a little patient, which this sector is not good at being, um, from an investor perspective. But Georgia reminds me a lot of the Florida setup. A lot. And so, um, I think that um, incremental is actually, I think, helpful in growing a sustainable market. I think sometimes the markets that come out like super, you know, fast and flashy and um, tend to right—they don't have necessarily the the ramp and the buy-in—and I, I think that they may tend to fade a little bit faster as well. And so I think that when you're building that base kind of over time and you're bringing folks along with you as you're growing in the business simultaneously, it really allows for, again, deeper connectivity and for folks to understand the brand at a different level.
2: When you started your journey in the cannabis space, what did you get right? And more importantly, what did you get wrong?
0: Oh, God. I'm a really bad capsule filler. Really bad. (laughs) It's hard, way bad. Um, <laughs> it leaks everywhere. It was anyway, and then I also am not great at inventory, not great at that either. Um, the numbers would never come out the same when I would count in the back. Um, and um, I would say, you know, one of the hardest things being in the seat is. I mean, we have moved from a ten-person, you know, not even hundred thousand dollar company to a nine thousand billion-dollar company in a very short period of time, in six years. So the talent um, and the requirements to balance folks that have experience within your organization um, with the needs of continuous upgrading of talent is... um, It's hard, but it's necessary. And I would say, um, you know, I underestimated that the need to really, you know, understand that. And the pace at which we move, folks can outgrow, I mean, or the position rather can outgrow folks relatively quickly. I mean, what you do today and what it, where we are six months from now can be two completely different places. And um, so I think that, um, you know, really learning that lesson and understanding, um, and it, but it's also super critical that you have people that understand the organization at a deep level and have been through that some of that scaling and have been and have been through that journey with you as well, and so finding that right mix and that right balance. Because I mean, let's be clear, right? Georgia's a startup market, like it's super entrepreneurial there, right? I mean, we're starting from zero, and so we have to build that market and need that type of a spirit um, within that market to be able to be competitive, right? Um, and that's happening at the same time that you know Florida's happening at the same time that right? Um, These other markets, Pennsylvania and, you know, Connecticut's about to go adult use. And so each of these markets is at very different growth stages. Um, And so having the right team that can appropriately um, be deployed and and understands what it takes in that market at this time is really um, challenging, but also
2: exciting. Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be? As a woman, just sit at the table. Prediction time. Kim, with more and more states coming online, eventually we will have legalization across the United States. When that happens, which region in the United States will be the biggest region?
0: (laughs) Uh, I mean, the Southeast.
1: Kellen, you want to take a swing? Uh, That's a tough question, right? Um... You know, I am gonna take a very different approach, and I'm gonna say the central region, and I my reasoning, right, is that I am from Colorado, but I also think that as states legalize, you see this influx of border states that don't have legal access uh, enter, right? And I think that in order to maintain that, you're gonna need some sort of like tourist destination. And I do believe like the mountains will always be a tourist destination for people to come ski. I get the beaches down there too, but I'm just going to kind of... Yeah. Uh, play for my home field here, or home team.
0: You have 130 million tourists <laughs> is a year in Florida. What are you saying right he's, now?
2: He's reaching. He's just hoping. He's just I, really? he's reaching. I didn't want to take the same answer as you. Come on. <laughs> well, okay. I, okay. I, I guess I'm going to take my home state as well. Yeah, so Northeast for us. I, I think the Northeast has a chance to, to compete big time. Unfortunately, we haven't gotten started in the the hopeful way that I'd like. And obviously, we're recording here at the end of 2022 in New York is still Deal, uh figuring it out, which hopefully they get that photo op in like they promised us. And I think there's big opportunities here in the Northeast. And I think once people in the older demographics specifically get kind of get a grasp on cannabis and recognize it's not like their college days cannabis, I think it'll just change their mind because I think they'll move away from the pharmaceuticals, they'll put down the booze a little less, and I think they'll adopt a more healthier product. But I think they will help them unlock a just completely different level of their life.
0: Is that before or after they move to the Southeast? <laughs>
2: Fair. fair. <laughs> probably after. Just Just probably. A, probably after. <laughs> probably after. So so Kim, for our listeners, they want to get in touch, they want to buy true leaf products, where can they find them?
0: Oh my gosh, go online to www.trueleaf.com, and all of our dispensaries are listed there for you. Um we have um, locations across eleven markets. Um and they're, they're there for you. You can actually type in your location and it will tell you where your closest TrueLeave location is, uh, is available for you.
2: Awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time. This was fun. Thanks. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts,
1: thank you.